Hi everyone, thanks for joining us today on what is episode 6 of MotorServe TV, which is now also our podcast on Spotify and all of the platforms. Today I'm very happy and privileged to welcome the one and only Siam Kid. Siam Kid, a former RAF pilot turned full-time trader and business investor, is here to share his story and to give us a bit of insight into his world and what he thinks is going to happen in the future of business and markets. Siam is a self-taught trader who's been on an incredible journey from losing nearly everything to now running a multi-million pound portfolio and achieving massive success. Siam has predicted and successfully traded many market highs and lows with his record being a £422,000 profit in just 30 minute window during the Black Monday crash of 2015. Siam has a massive following on social media and now teaches his methods across his educational platform, Realistic Trader, where he's taught thousands of people how to trade successfully and has amassed over well over 100 hours of recorded content. He's a regular speaker at many worldwide events and has recently completed his Crypto World Tour and was a key speaker at the Las Vegas US Money Show event. We are very lucky to have Siam here today, so let's get stuck in. So thanks, Iam, no. for joining us today. Uh, it's really, really good to see you. It's been quite a while. Uh, I've obviously known you since, uh, I think, 2015. Uh, yeah. I've even been on one of your courses or yeah. a couple of your courses. So uh, it's, yeah, thank you very much for coming up from Norwich all this way. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's all very fancy and posh here. Excellent. I'm <laughs> pleased you like it. And uh, thanks for bringing your absolutely awesome Aston Martin oh, as well. Thank so, you. I'm sure the drive up wasn't too laborious for you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's probably quite good to let it get out and stretch his legs yeah. a little bit. Oh, speed cameras all the way here. Though. Oh, so he so. sat on cruise the whole way. Yeah, yeah. like a good boy. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have to say though, I see so much of your stuff online. Obviously, I've done your courses. I've done, yeah, I've seen so much of your YouTube uh, content yeah. that when I, even now, when I meet you in person, it's a little bit like I'm a bit starstruck. Oh man. <laughs> I'm the nobody from Norwich. <laughs> but uh, it's really strange because obviously when you see someone so much on, on the media, on, yeah, yeah. On, you know, on social media and stuff, and on, on all your TV interviews and stuff that you've done, it, it is you know, awesome to have you here. So oh, thank you well, very much thank for you. coming. So just uh, hope the videos help. No, definitely. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, to be fair, the, the whole uh, podcast, this whole series, I hope our viewers and listeners are enjoying them, but they've been uh, really good. And obviously we're adding different, elements yeah. uh, to everything so and today we're going to hear obviously all about yourself and your story so it's going to be awesome cool. uh, so let's start from your story really your whole journey so you were RAF pilot to start with yeah so you left did you leave school and go straight into that was it college and then yeah straight after school did A levels and then uh, joined up and uh, yeah Flew all over the world, loved it. It was great. Fantastic. So did you actually, were you in any kind of combat situation? Uh, no, unfortunately all, not. Okay, yeah. just exercises. I destroyed and... my career before that, so. <laughs> Trading got in the way. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah, because yeah, that, that's, so. How did you go from, like, obviously your RAF pilot. Yeah. You did really well in it, and obviously you were doing all the missions and everything else, but when you, did you start trading while you were in the RAF then? Yeah, I joined the Air Force and started trading when I was 18 at the same time, pretty much. Oh, brilliant. Um, and then 
officers training was like 10 months or whatever so trading took a back burner during then because I didn't have access to computers and stuff yeah and then yeah after that I was juggling both and to begin with the Air Force career was doing all right and my trading was pants and then eventually when I started making money it my I just my career went down the pan and yeah, yeah I started failing really basic tests just because I was I mean I, I remember one time I was doing I was flying low level and I was all I was all I was thinking about was my pound dollar trade and how that was going and I was like ah it's, oh yeah God. it's a bit dangerous now so <laughs> best time to leave I think yeah. oh, so, so how old were you then that scare was when I was 23 but it took me a whole year to summon up the courage to quit my cushy life so to speak because you know you're yeah. I was leading I haven't had a really good job and yeah. you know income was not good but all your expenses are pretty much covered um and but yeah it was like do I jump from you know this cushy job into yeah. being a full-time trader and that you know it's a massive unknown yeah uh, so stepping back into the kind of civil life isn't it you know yeah the armed forces where where were you based mainly? all over the place but really? at, at the end of the the line I was at RF Lynham so I was on the hook just before I yeah. left um Brilliant. and yeah it just that was like a really hard year I remember just every day I was like I don't want to be here don't want to be here and I was just just obsessed with my trading and wow. yeah I was like a cocky 22 23 year old driving around basin in Aston Martin <laughs> and yeah didn't get that good attention yeah oh god sort of so what made you get into like trading what drew you into it so at the age of 18 you started yeah I just thought um my, my criteria because I'm, I'm naturally quite lazy so I thought how can I make money on my laptop, in my underwear, in bed. Maximum, you know, result, minimum effort. And I came up with gambling and trading. I thought trading seems a bit hard, so let's try gambling. And yeah. then my gambling career lasted about a night um, where basically I thought I came up with the system of if I just do roulette, go black or red, just double up every time I lose. I now know, now know it's called the Martingale system. You know, it'll be fine. So I turned like a couple hundred quid into like three and a half grand in like an hour. It was, it was amazing. And yeah. I, I went to dinner and told all my mates, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I've, I've beaten gambling. And then after dinner, they all came in. There was like 10 of us in the room. I was like, it's simple. Just double up every time I lose. And then I blew several grand in like 15 minutes. Everyone left and I was like, got to earn this all back. And then yeah. like by two, three in the morning, I'd lost all my gains got a five grand loan from a um, Virgin credit card, blew that, and I didn't oh, sleep nice. that night. And I was like, shit, I'm now five grand in debt as an 18 year old. And to me, I was like, oh my God, I'm going bankrupt. Or what? It, was just, yeah. it was a big deal back then. Yeah, but of course. Yeah, and so I was like, I'll never gamble again. And I haven't since, so. <laughs> so then you chose a road of Yeah, I thought, instead. yeah, let's yeah. do trading. That seems more structured and, yeah. you know, um, and then I proceeded to lose relentlessly for the next four to six years. So that was like during your whole RF career? Yeah, thing, basically. So. How did you find the time to do it? Was, was it literally you were just doing it part-time on the side? Yeah, um, I was normally doing it in any nook and cranny of the day, any free time. Um, and there are periods of flying where you just don't do much. I mean, towards the end of the career, I was doing probably one flight a month, two, one or two flights a month. And the wow. rest of the time I was just playing golf and trading. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, because I've always been, my sort of cohort, we're always at the breast of like Air Force cutbacks. 
and were yeah. always like the, the cohort they got all of the cutbacks um mm. and so yeah there, there wasn't much flying by the end of it i went yeah all right so yeah so it's a good transition then so when when you first started trading so what was your method did you just launch yourself into it or did you read books or research yeah it? i it was Alta Vista back then, and I remember Alta Vistaing some, you know, how to trade or whatever. <laughs> Came up, found some sort of shitty move, moving average crossover system, and and I was basically um, a holy grail hunter. I was like trying to hunt for the, the holy grail of trading systems, which doesn't exist, by the way. Um, and then, yeah, that's why I spent four to six years in like what I call the wilderness, where I was just basically bleeding money hand over fist every wow. month. So it's quite, yeah, you had some perseverance to keep at it yeah i thing is i'm a, I'm a gamer so like i have an obsessive personality yeah. and with things that i like to do or want to do it really annoys me if i'm shit at it so if i'm crap i'm like I, I treat i treat life like a computer game so if you fail okay you don't cry in the corner you just go you hit reset don't do that again and, and I treated trading like that. And I thought if others can do well on the markets, it means it can be done. Yeah. It's not a non-zero you know, outcome. Um, and so I just did it, yeah. And back then, I, I remember my take-home salary was 2,200 pounds a month. Yeah. I used to blow 200 quid a month in the bar. And in the officer's mess bar, like a pint was like 70p and a shot of vodka was like 10p. You'd get pissed quite a lot on 200 quid and then I used to blow two grand a month on the markets sometimes I'd blow it in a day sometimes it would take a couple of weeks to blow but eventually it would take you know a couple of months to blow up and by that time of yeah so yeah. I'd screw up less and less and less and so I'm nothing special I just don't I know what landmines not to stand on brilliant yeah just idiot <laughs> yeah, just an idiot who never gave up. Yeah. So when did you where did you meet your wife? Was that uh, what, uh, two thousand and eight in the office pub? It was like on Halloween, yeah. and my me and my best mate were in fancy dress. He was banana man. I was a red hot chili pepper. <laughs> Went into this bar. No one was in fancy dress other than three massive giant pumpkins at the other end of the club. So we were like vegetables attract, yeah. and then yeah. I pulled the pumpkin. So. <laughs> so they got the memo as well about the fancy dress? No, they were just on a random Halloween night oh, out right. and oh, no cool. one else was in fancy dress, yeah. So, yeah. Brilliant. That's a great story. So when you left the RAF, so 23, 24? 25, 25 end, yeah. And then you launched, so you just went into it full time then? Yeah, and within three months I was broke. I oh, blew the lot. Yeah. So I... The, the year that I'd left, I'd had a really good year, or a really good 18 months, lead, and which led me into a sense of, I'm Billy Big Balls, I'm a good trader now. I can go full-time trading. Screw you other pilot friends, you don't, you know, you're missing out here. And then within three months, over cockiness, blew my heart, yeah. So I ended up jobless, zero savings. Um, I applied for literally shelf stacking jobs at Tesco, wow. Sainsbury's and Asda. They all turned me down. Loads of jobs turned me down. They all, uh, some recruiter said that they thought I was taking the piss because I went from pilot to trying to get a job for 16 grand a year or eight at the time. And, and then in the end, I got an admin job at some recruitment company at wow. like 18 grand a year. <laughs> yeah, so you did that just to kind of create that stability. I, so. I needed income because, yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah, that sucked. <laughs> so what, what, how would you think, that, what were you doing wrong at that time? 
just launching what, into trading wise yeah trading wise over overconfidence led me to thinking every trade I would place would hit target um, so I ended up over leveraging which meant basically betting too big per trade so typically um, I normally trade so if you if you have a pot in fact if you, if you give someone 100 quid and go to the casino mm. even the most sensible person will probably make every bet like 10% of the pot you know I'll 10 quid a, a roll or five quid or whatever mm. but in trading terms like that's way too much leverage so every trade i normally place i'm only risking 0.1 to 0.25 percent of the whole pot per trade so let's say you're risking 0.1 percent max risk per trade if i have 10 losing trades in a row i'm only down one percent yeah. so it doesn't hurt you whereas back in the day i was going out you know doing five ten percent max risk which means five bad trades in a row you've halved your account yeah, and then course. if you halve your account, it, you need to make 100% ROI just to get back to break even. Yeah. So yeah, betting too big killed me and a few other, and over trading, f hunting for trades, forcing trades, which really weren't there. Every mistake under the book, under the sun, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started, uh, so you got your admin job. Yep. And then you were like still trading on, like, on the side. At yeah. what point would you say that that was you didn't need a job anymore and you started to oh, man, that, independent. That was brutal because I obviously had a, that was a humbling year where we're broke. Ellie and I, we were that hard up because she didn't have a job back then that we, we literally struggled to choose between, I mean, there was one day we were both in Lidl mm. and Ellie, my, she, my wife now, she had cheese in one hand and mayonnaise in the other and just like shrugged because we were too poor to choose, you know, decide which, you know, we couldn't afford both. In the end, we just got, didn't choose any of them because they were luxuries, cheese and mayonnaise. And then we just bought more pasta. And literally <laughs> I lived on pasta, Marmite pasta for the best part of two years. But awesome. the annoying thing is after a while I got consistent with trading again, but I had no money. I had like 500 quid in my trading pot and my at shitty admin job. And I was like, I'm doing really well with my trading, but I had no pot. So yeah. I remember I'm in that, year the, the year after that i'd made like 22 percent or something like that but 22 percent on a 500 quid pot is bugger all yeah you can't live off it yeah so then i realized i had to somehow get scale how did i how could i get more capital so i then got uh two jobs then three jobs and then whilst i was doing three jobs i tried to set up a part-time online based business and then eventually that business did all right. And then I went down to two jobs, then one job and then, then full-time. But Brilliant. yeah, two, two part-time jobs and, pulling, and a third pulling pints in a pub. Wow. So yeah, so I was literally doing like 15 hours a day, like every day. Wow. So. And Ellie's, yeah. Yeah, she she uh, yeah. she got a job as well at that point. Yeah. So <laughs> at one point we were both were like, we've both got twenty grand a year salaries. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what, what would you say? Yeah, because you said that the five hundred pound pot wasn't enough. Mm. What would you say when you started getting you know good consistency? How big was your pot to start with? Well, yeah, it was it was around five hundred quid. Yeah, when so I started start getting with, good good yeah. consistency, and then it was a case of how the hell do I get capital? And just pile it in. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I couldn't get, go and get a loan for, you know, 500 grand or 100 grand or anything. I couldn't. So I, I, I soon realized that the, the, the methods I was doing, as in like jobs and stuff, would never 
build my pot up. Mm. And I realized that if you, if you analyze every rich person that has earned their wealth, not trust fund babies or anything, mm. most of the time, I would say something like 95% or more earned it through business. And I was like, oh shit, I need to be a business owner. So then I went all in on business. Like, how can I be a business owner? What business do I set up? Blah, blah, blah. And then, um, yeah, the first four businesses I tried to do just flopped or didn't take off or, you know, just didn't, I didn't know how, I had no business skills. I didn't know how to yeah. create leads. Without leads, you have no sales. Without sales, you have, you have no business, really. Mm, um, of course. And then lucky number four or three did well. And then, yeah. So the way that I orchestrate things now is that you generate fast income via businesses and then you siphon off any surplus distributable profit, profits from the businesses into your investment pots. And then your trading or investing activity simply amplifies whatever you have. So, yeah, of course. yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, it's <coughs> I guess you need two skills. You need the skill to amplify a pot of money yeah. and also another skill where you generate income. So that's why yeah. business and trading really do go hand, hand, hand in hand. Oh, brilliant. So when you, uh, so once everything's stabilised and you, yeah, you're doing really well, because obviously you help other people now, you set a realistic trader. Yeah. What point did that come? That was 2013. Um, trading is really lonely. So yeah, it got to the point where my wife was like, you, like going to family events or whatever, you're like, you're not allowed to talk about trading or money or investing because, <laughs> you know. Um, Put everyone to sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And no one knows what you're on about. Um, <laughs> And it was really lonely, just like trading, you know, there's, there were random online forums back then, but you know, everyone was just a moon boy, you know, just trying to, yeah. you know, get rich quick or whatever. And I thought, ah, oh, let's just set up some sort of trading club or like a coffee meeting, or whatever. And it starts off as like a very, yeah, just meet up for coffee or whatever. And then I realized having a cool community was, was pretty cool. And actually by teaching, it, it kept me on the straight and narrow, so to speak, because yeah. It's weird, you can very easily break your own trading rules. Whereas if you're constantly teaching and, and, and also sharing what you're doing, mm. you have to stay on tip top form. Because I've always, I, I, hate, I actually hate the whole trading industry. Everyone's a charlatan or a pretender or just a marketer. Um, and there's no transparency. So like for as long as I can remember, every trade I've ever placed, I text out in real time. So anyone that's around me can see me losing or winning, you know. So yeah, and that hasn't stopped, so. Brilliant, and how, so realistic trader, because that's where I, I first yeah. sort of, you know, I, I met you through that, through uh, the business group. Uh, how's that all going nowadays? Uh, yeah, it's good, it's, it's just a, a small, club now. yeah, it's a, it's a small community. We've got about 300 traders. That's in, quite big. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, <laughs> that's a reasonable size. That's yeah, it, size, it's yeah. good. Uh, I, I like quality over, you know, vast yeah, quantity. Yeah. And, and room, yeah. the cool thing about our community is that everyone is actually realistic yeah. and, you know, we're not trying to get rich quick, et cetera. And they're all learning like proper skills, et cetera. So you can actually, you know, when you're chatting at the, like we, we all have big meetups every two months. You can yeah. chat at a relatively high level. Um, yeah. And I, I could easily pick any of the community members, put them in a random group, and they'll know more about investing, trading, and the markets than the average Joe by a country mile. So, yeah, yeah proud of them. And have you, uh, how many of those guys would you say you've taught from scratch? Like um, nearly all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I bet there's a good feeling of yeah. Yeah, pride in that. Yeah, it's good. So yeah. all, uh, and 
are they all kind of following the rules and not everyone uh, like and also <laughs> so you made some charlatans <laughs> <laughs> yeah I d the annoying thing is like you can I would love to sit here and say everyone I've ever taught is now minted and is doing really well but yeah. like with anything you like take school for example we all went to school everything is standardized as possible like let's yeah. take maths you all have the you know you're cohorted into the same age group you all sat there listening to the same teacher at the same time same workbook same syllabus same everything yeah. yet when you do the exam at the end of the year you all get different results yeah. you're either shit at maths or good at or you know at, or average yeah. and the mean normal distribution applies with everything everything within two sigma is about 96 percent so most people by literal default will be average and you have those that are really good and really bad and and, and you all learnt from the same person, same, t yeah. yeah. Trading is the same. I've taught the exact same thing to everyone. Yeah. But some people go and blow their account straight away because they don't have a handle on their own emotions. Some people are really good because they're really like meticulous and I'll just stick to the rules. Um, I found that academically smart people are the worst types, worst students. Really? Yeah. Like they're horrendous sometimes. Like scientists are the worst. Uh, <laughs> and it's weird. Because, <clears throat> yeah, I, I've, I've always struggled teaching scientists and doctors and engineers because they go, they, li they listen and go, yep, 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 yep. And then they'll like, I see what you're saying, but I'll do it my way instead. They, <laughs> I'm being broad brush here. They'll, they'll think, oh, I, I know it better, you know. And because they just don't stick to the freaking rules, which yeah. I've had like 19 years to come up with these rules, they then go and lose. And they're like, oh, you, this is shit, it doesn't work, blah, yeah, blah, it's blah. It's like, no, you're yeah. not even doing, you're doing your own rules. Um, whereas, like, I've had loads of car mechanics do really well, really, really well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and builders as well. And I think it's because they're like, I'm just going to do what you say, and then follow the manual. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird, <laughs> but I'm not saying you shouldn't have an analytical mindset, but you know, at least try the rules out first, and then obviously tweak over time. Yeah, because obviously the rules exist for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't <coughs> want to fall into pitfalls and obviously if they jump into the pitfalls with both feet. Yeah. What can you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So, I've seen all your stuff, like so basically forex trading and then uh, market trading and all the rest of it. I think the big thing in my mind, which I'm not quite sure about, and I think it's sometimes a bit of the elephant in the room, crypto. <sighs> yeah. Is it? Is it good or is it? It's, I know it's very generalised. Yeah, yeah. Is it good or is it bad? Yeah. But what are your thoughts on it? Because I know you're a bit of a fan. Yeah, it's the evolution of money and the revolution of trust. So I was the biggest crypto hater and critic yeah. for a long time. Like I, I got into Bitcoin and crypto around 2012, and just to test it out, it was a new market. I was like, oh, what's this? And I hated it. I was like, oh, it's just weird, fancy, monopoly, internet money that has no real utility, no blah, 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 blah. And back then, that pretty much was the case. And I used yeah. to go, oh, it's booms and crashes and all that sort of stuff. And, and then around 2016, I had another look at my opinion data set mm. and realized I was wrong. So I have a firm belief that your opinions should be written in sand, not titanium and that you should always interrogate the data set from which you base your opinions on. So, like even to say someone asked me my opinion on something, before I answer, I'll have a little check, you know, I'll check myself before I wreck myself and just go, wait a minute, is this opinion based on valid current data or is it 
an opinion I'm harboring from like five years ago. Yeah. Um, and so when I re-looked at the market and I was like, oh shit, crypto's real. Um, for so many different, different ways. Like, so it is the evolution of money because money is very clunky and it's, it's antiquated. And it's, it's archaic, basically. Mm. So for example, even now in 2023, if let's say a big company wanted to send a billion dollars cross borders, it's basically um, T plus three. It'll take three days to, fi to reach finality. And you've got um, currency os oscillations during that time and you got fees. So, you know, let's say it's at best quarter fees, quarter percent fees. So you're spending millions just to yeah. transfer stuff. Whereas with crypto, even Bitcoin, you can send an unlimited amount of money cross borders with finality within 10 minutes, like yeah. with like next to zero fees. Um, so, I mean, obviously that's just one UK use case, but the underlying tech behind it, so distributed ledger technology, is the, what I, I, I like to think is the revolution of trust because everything in that, that runs our world really needs trust. So if you're buying a car you, um, or, or, yeah, all commerce really needs trust. Like voting needs trust. Um, buying a house needs trust. Buying anything from someone needs trust. Like, yeah. And so with, with DLTs, or most people know it as blockchain, you, you basically bypass that trust because it's, it's there, it's open. Um, like the easy way to look at a blockchain, it's like a massive Google spreadsheet that the world can see. And you know, you know what's, um, who, who, yeah, who's doing what and when. Um, awesome. Yeah, so yeah. I, I could carry on, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it's very, very complex, isn't it? But, but it isn't, it's simplified. Yeah. So. So are you trading crypto? Because I know you did your world tour, uh, talking about it, was that? Yeah, I've just been full-time crypto since 2016. Wow, so, okay. Are you still doing the Forex stuff at the moment? No, or? no, no really? just current, yeah, just crypto since 2016. It's, and the wow. thing is, like when you analyze the global currency supplies, like the US or UK, like every major currency supply expands by about 15% per year. So, and have been for the last 50 odd years. And so everyone looks at stocks and property and go, oh, it always goes up. And, but you have to ask yourself, why do stocks always go up? Why do property Price double price. every 10 years, yeah. which is not true? Um, and it's, it's because the currency supply grows by 15%-ish per year. Mm. And it's just pure coincidence that the, the stock market also grows by 15 to 16% per year. So when you look at investing, you, the, the global monetary hurdle, which I look at, is basically 15%. So if you're sat there in cash and you're not doing any investing, 0% ROI, yeah. in a year, you'll be 15% you'll, you'll be poorer yeah. in, in real ROI and purchasing power. And so even if you just put that money in a mutual fund or a tracker fund or whatever, you're not really making 15% because the currency supply is growing. So you make your flat. Yeah, so for me, I, I'm in crypto not because I'm just a crypto junkie. I have this overall cr uh, investment criteria. So I know that my benchmark is I have to make 15% just to be flat. But if I go flat every year and just make 15% per year, I'm not going to get rich. Mm. So I need to make something um, for, to hit my targets in a time efficient manner. I need to be making a minimum of 25% real profit, real ROI per year. So I need to make 40% ROI at least. So what, 
what asset classes out there can make 40% minimum per year. It's not stocks, unless you, you can time each stock. It's not bonds, it's not commodities, it's, it's not trading crypto, uh, trading currencies. Crypto and business are the only ones. Mm. Like, in the early stages of business growth, you can do 100% year on year up to a certain point. Um, and what I found with businesses is that it's relatively easy to go from zero to say 250 grand a year profit relatively quickly. Let's say within a two to three year period, you know, if you're at, you know, at a mediocre pace. But when you look at the percentage growth, it's like 100%, 100%, 100%. Um, and with plateaus out. Yeah, then it, yeah, yeah. When, when you get, get to a higher EBITDA, yeah. it plateaus. And then, it, and, you know, when you get to above a million mm. EBIT, then you'll be lucky to make... 20% a year yeah. or what? <laughs> so, um, but with crypto, I mean, Bitcoin, ignoring all the other alts which have done crazy, Bitcoin is the best performing um, globally scaled asset over the, since 2010. It's got 200% CAGR, compound annual growth rate, since 2010. It's, it's nuts. Wow. So, so do not to be sniffed at. No, it is good. it's crazy, yeah. And it will always have booms and busts, but yeah. we're, like, we've, we're just coming off the back end of like 18 months of the worst crypto bear market ever. Yeah. And Bitcoin sat there at 30K. <laughs> and we're at the bottom of the, bull market, uh, the bear market, and it's still 30K. I remember when Bitcoin was like $10. Wow. Um, and then it boomed up to 100 and back down to 10. And then you're like, no, it's yeah, it just goes up. Yeah. And, and it's got a deflationary current. Um, uh, monetary base so there will only ever be 21 million bitcoin ever the last yeah. one will be mined in the year 2140 but like 90 odd percent of the bitcoin supply is already out there and so the banks and the, the governments are actually going to be the biggest pumpers of crypto or of bitcoin ever because you know every year they're just going to inflate the currency supply and the more currency out there sloshing around more will a, a portion of that will seep, seep into crypto yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not, I'm only in business and crypto just because of my investment criteria. Yeah. So with, uh, like you mentioned about the businesses, because I've seen a few, few of your businesses. So what have been your best investments? Would you say what has worked really well? Ah, oh, so historically, uh, B2C businesses of a subscription-based business yeah. um, have always been been good. Um, and that's because we've had a good handle on online marketing. So, yeah. um, you know, when you, when you plan out the, the client attraction journey and then you know your numbers, it's a case of like, if you have something which is a 15 pounds a month subscription <coughs> and you can acquire a new client for, you know, 20, 20 to 30 pounds, it's like, great. You just throw as much money into marketing as possible, knowing that in a month or two, you're, it's just pure profit. But since 2020, and online marketing has just spiraled out of control um, since Facebook and Apple had their fight. And so I'm finding personally, all my B2C businesses are struggling big time. Really? Yeah, um, but the B2B businesses are, are, are still solid. So I've, mm these days when i'm speaking to people that want to get into business i'm i'm saying really you should look for a b2b business SaaS, so software as a service ideally utilizing an ai tool of some sort um, aim to have a, no more than 30 customers 30 clients and have a price point 
you know, a high price point, a high margin. So like 300 to 500 pounds per month. So let's say 300 pounds times 30. Um, you've got like nine grand a month in rev after, you know, general OPEX, you, you've got, you know, seven, six, seven grand a month profit. And that getting to 30 clients, it, it, you know, with, you know, six, seven grand a month profit is relatively easy. easy. Mm. Um, and then if you, if you get to that level, the exit multiple for a SaaS business like that is at least five times profits. So you, you, you then got an asset there that's, that's worth three to 500K. So, and, and you can do that relatively quickly, especially like with all of these new AI tools out there. The key thing is that they are literally just slashing the amount of time um, that one can do so. So for example, I've had in-house videographers for years now. Yeah. And any other company, um, like you're a videographer, the guy behind the camera, <laughs> um, like the average company that has an in-house videographer, they're going to be spending between three to five grand a month to have that person, depending on the yeah. skill and caliber, yeah. et cetera. But there's so many AI tools out there now, which can just completely just slash the amount of time it takes to do stuff. Same with graphic designing and stuff. So like one, one thing I said to a, a business uh, student I, I've got, I said like, there, there are things like, let's take video for example, you could create really good videos in under 15 minutes. Like an absolute, like, like myself, yeah. I'm not creative at all. And I can make some good videos in under 15 minutes using all sorts of tools. I was like, well, wait a minute, why don't you just a approach businesses, a content generators, podcasters, et cetera, and say, hey, look, I can make 20 videos a, a month for you, you know, a video a day, Monday to Friday for 300 quid a month. And all of a sudden, you don't have to pay your videographer three grand a month. You're like, most businesses will be like, yeah, okay, why not? It's only 300 quid. And then all of a sudden, you're now showered with lots of good video. I mean, yeah, so AI is not going to take away jobs. It's humans armed with AI are going to steal jobs. Yeah, so, of course. Excellent. Just a random thought. But yeah. <laughs> so what's your, this is a very general question as, as, as well, but... The future right now, like with what's going on, interest rates, are we at the high, high of the interest rates? Is inflation going to come down? What are your thoughts about what's going on right now? God, there's so much going on. Um, God, where to start? <laughs> Deep question. Yeah, it's like when you look at the biggest sort of financial picture, we have yeah. the worst like culmination of big storm clouds all converging into the same space. We've got like a multi-trillion dollar auto loan bubble that's soon about to pop. pop. There's a multi-trillion junk, energy junk bond bubble that's about to pop. We have the student loan uh, bubble that's about to pop, which is multi-trillions. We have the pension bubble pop. We have, um, th there's so many bubbles which are all just converging around like now. Now, admittedly, if anyone that's seen my stuff for a while, I, I thought it would have popped, you know, a couple of years ago, but you know, because they just print, 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 and they, they can kick the can down the road for a while. But when you look at the, the biggest trends that so far have not failed, yeah. um, you have interest rates, inflation, uh, and employment. So the key thing is that everything I'm about to say right now is from say 1930 onwards. So if you look at say 1930 onwards, and every time you see interest rates, hike up fast, 
what you then see, the moment they drop interest rates, you then have a market crash, as in a massive global stock market crash. Um, so that's one thing to look at, so as in a massive global stock market crash. Um, so that's one thing to look at. So interest rates, it's hiking up, and then it's the moment they, they start reducing them fast, and they always do, that's when the crash happens. So that's one chart. Then look at employment. Now, I could wax lyrical about how un unemployment figures are just complete hogwash. But if you look at the, ch the, un the unemployment rate over the last, since 1930, every single time we've hit record lows for unemployment, you then have a global market crash. So you've now got two charts. If you superimpose them, they're all saying crash is ha about, about to happen. You then look at um, inflation. So every time we've had crazy runoff inflation, yeah. what happens 18 months later or so? Another market crash. So those, those three charts, if you all look at them, they're all saying that we should have a massive economic crash, depression, recession, like towards the latter end of 2023 slash 2024. Like they're all saying that, they're, and those three metrics are barely ever wrong. Um, and like we've, so, and, and we, if you take from 2020, we, you know, we had the COVID stuff yeah. uh, and we just printed our way out of, you know, we just print, we printed, like the US printed about $5 trillion just like that. Mm. Um, so of course we're going to have rampant inflation right now because you, you can't just create 5 trillion and put it into the economy and, for, and the economy to not to absorb that, that monopoly money. So I guess on the, on the face of it, economically speaking, it looks a bit sour. Um, and when you look at what the billionaires do, not what they say, what are all the big companies doing? They're laying off people as fast as they can. I mean, the tech sector alone in the US have laid off like 250,000 people in the last year. Wow. Um, and they're well-paid people. So let alone what the whole economy is doing. So, yeah, but in terms of interest rates, so we are, we've hiked rates at the fastest, fastest rate in history. Uh, I believe we're now pretty much at the high. We've just had the first rate pause in the US. Yeah. Now, a pause is interesting. If you look at historic charts, every time they've paused rates for a couple of quarters, uh, two, for two uh, quarters, stock markets rally, actually, yeah. which is interesting. So we, we'll probably see a bit of a, a blow off top, but the moment they start, cutting rates and they will and they'll, the, the rates cut fast when that happens yeah we'll see stocks crashing and that will then just drag everything down with it oh. so i'm at a bit of a paradox at the moment because i'm very bullish on crypto but you know if we have this massive crash or there's a banking crisis which oh that's the other thing um it could drag everything down um if you look at the four biggest u.s banks that have ever gone bust three of them happened this year Wow. Yeah. If you take the total market cap of all the banks that went bust in 2008, it's about $500 billion. Those three banks that went bust this year is about $500 billion. It's nuts. Yet the, the public are completely oblivious to, to all of this. It's because there's less media coverage on it, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. It's, and wow. there's more to come. So especially when they try and roll out CBDCs, so central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, so digi-currencies, they're not there to attack Bitcoin or crypto. They're there to attack fiat Actual, currencies yeah. like the dollar or the, yeah. or the pound. So that actually will cause bank runs. So, but yeah. Do you think like with what's going on right now, because a lot of people are saying that the property market is about to crash, the price is about to slide. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
my ear isn't as close to the ground with property um, as most. However, from my considered perch, um, I look at a couple of things. So if you look at the British um, House Pricing Index, so GBHPI, um, when you look at it just on its own, house prices have just gone up forever. Yeah. But house prices have not gone up, as, they have not increased faster than the UK currency supply. So when you plot those two together, so if, if you open up tradingview.com and then look at the house pricing index divided by UK currency supply, what you'll find is that from 1987, house, the house price index against the currency supply has just crashed. There've been a few times where it's, it's rat done quick rallies, mm -hmm. but what we're looking at right now, based on that chart, is we're about to have another big dip. And the reason being is that when the, the Bank of England starts printing money, it takes about one to two years for all that new funny money to actually be absorbed into the general economy. It normally gets absorbed into stocks and property and then everything else. So what happens is that if let's say right now, they, start, they just print a trillion pounds just like that, that chart, HPI against um, currency supply, it will then, then, then drop like a stone. So for me with property, I, like I'm renting at the moment, I'm looking to buy, um, when that particular chart drops but also wow. it's, a, it's a seesaw of like it's highly likely the next crypto bull market will be in 2025 and should top by the end of 2025 so i'm looking at the seesaw of crypto versus houses because my wife for the last i don't know 14 years have been like let's buy a house let's buy a house i'm like <laughs> no <laughs> so hopefully in in let's say two years time i'll, I'll, I'll finally buy her the house she's always wanted the forever home Yes, I, I've yeah. never bought a house. I only want to buy one house in my whole life and that's yeah. the forever home and I want to do crazy shit with it over the years. I want to build <laughs> underground tunnels and bat caves and uh, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I was going to get onto that. So you've just kind of uh, stepped into it. I, when I did your courses yeah. and I heard your uh, kind of approach on things, your motivation, it made me suddenly realise that actually the equity I'm sitting on in my house is just... Yeah, I'm literally it's obscene. sleeping on it and pooing on it. So <laughs> I thought yeah. it's not doing anything. Well, it is, but it's going yeah. slowly, slowly, slowly. So I actually made my wife listen to your stuff. Yeah. And then she's been saying the same thing since then. Amazing. Buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. <laughs> but I actually, we converted our house to a care home. Yeah. Rented it on a 10-year uh, commercial nice. lease. And now we're renting. Yeah, and, and you've I got actually, good yield I'm hooked that. on renting now because the value for money that you can get on a house for rent even if I bought it and mortgaged it, it's, it's cheaper to rent it. Yeah. Like you get a lot more value for money. Like between the kind of fifteen hundred to three and a half thousand pound mark, the increase in property size and everything is just ridiculous. Yeah. Now I can't see the value in like I buy property because I'm not I'm not trading yet. Yeah. So I'm trading property and trading stuff. So uh, I'm, I might be soon, but yeah. uh, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still on the property uh, hunt. But I'm doing that on the property side on commercial, but then. My own home is rented, mm. and a lot of people can't see the logic in it. Yeah, and they kind of like, why? Yeah, but it's because of that. Yeah, can, can I add more context to why yeah. I love renting? Because yeah. people on YouTube will see this and go, "Oh, Simon just hates property." Yeah. But like, for me, I'm all about the the cost of opportunity yeah. uh, or opportunity cost. Okay. Um, and typically in business, because I've always had 
some form of residual income based business, whether it's subscription or some SaaS type business, etc. Um, historically, for every hundred grand of worth of cash, I've always been able to pump that into the business and that will chuck out five to 10 grand a month in residual income. Yeah. Let's say the lower rate, five grand a month in new uh, of re direct debits. Yeah. That's what 60% ROI, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's 10 grand. Um, and so I've always like gone, right, do I plow all, you know, a chunk of money into a, a house or get more residual income? It's always been the business wins. Same with crypto. Mm. Like, so, I've all, so recently, or I say recently, over the last, let's say seven years, that has been the main thing. But what you said about the renting is spot on. So at the moment, and at the moment, this is what, July 2023, we've, so the house I've been in right now, we've been in for about four years. It's only three and a half grand a month rent. We've got a 25 acre garden. It's like this wow. massive like mansion. Yeah. Um, it's got a lovely annex, which we've always used for the business. So that can cover some of the rent, etc. Yeah. But in order to buy that house, that's worth, you know, probably two and a half million. About so two and a half, three million. Yeah. yeah. So if I was to buy that, I, you know, with stamp duty, fees, deposit, you know, realistically, you'd want a 25% loan to uh, LTV mortgage. So you'd be blowing like 800 grand yeah. to, to, you know, realistically buy that house. Same house. So then I'm like, okay, yeah. if I had, if I put 800 grand into my businesses or hell, just into crypto, let's say the most boring crypto, just Bitcoin, Bitcoin will always win, um, yeah. you know, when, when doing that equation. So sorry, honey, if, yeah. you're, if you're watching this. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry Samarine as well yeah. so, so I'll, yeah. I'll buy the house when I could buy the house at, and it's like loose change so yeah. to speak yeah. and it doesn't really matter brilliant so just I'm my gonna, opinion I'm going to refresh our <laughs> motivations and approach uh, using, <laughs> using this uh, podcast so thanks very much so with your businesses with obviously we have touched upon this already but like so you're great at online marketing so social media is like so, the so. key for business really, isn't it? It's yeah. the kind of way to grow it. How important would you say it's been? Yeah, it, well, from a first principles point of view, what does a business need? It needs sales. How do you get sales? You need leads. How yeah. do you get leads um, at mass? Well, you can't just door knock. No one likes cold calling or door knocking. So it's like, oh, okay, you need online marketing of some sort. Yeah. Um, as I said, in the past, it's been really reliable, but over the last couple of years, I've been you know, knocked for six. I've really struggled with marketing um, and, and not just me, loads of other people have because costs yeah. have gone up, um, which is why I, I'm, I'm massively pivoting more towards my B2B businesses because yeah. old fashioned like methods, offline methods are working best, like sending big packages of goodies and saying, hey, let's have a phone call. Look at me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that, that's working better. And I, I'd oh. much rather have, you know, 20 to 30 clients. Yeah paying you know grand a month or more than two thousand clients paying and the same grid. amount yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah no definitely fantastic uh so we have to obviously you're here mm -hmm. you bought your beautiful car along ah, so we have touched upon your cars earlier as well so but talking about cars and the market and the way the engines and everything are going you were one of the first people i knew who bought not just one tesla but you bought two yeah so how's your kind of love for electric cars coming along I, I i do love them like so i bought the model s ludicrous mode one yeah, first and yeah. that was just amazing i did 
60,000 hard miles of that, just doing 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds and stop. 0 to 60, 0 to 60. Like, it would, like, it's like instant. You feel sick yeah, after yeah, a couple yeah. of launches and it's like a, a nice party trick. And it's just a really good everyday car. Yeah. And also in those 60,000 miles over what, four years, I never had to change the brake pads. Not really? once. Wow. Because it's all regen braking. It's one pedal driving pretty much. And yeah. it's just, it is an amazing car. Um, and then we got the Model X for the family yeah. um, because it's one, it's easier to get the kids in because of yeah. the, the, the doors and it's the safest car on the planet as well. Um, yeah. So we, we love that and the range is good. So yeah, I, nothing but love for EVs, but I've, the reason I've got that now is because I'm, I always try and look to, you know, what's happening in the, in the near horizon and um, please don't hate me for saying this, but like the woke brigade is getting a lot stronger yeah. and I'm not denying climate change or anything. I don't want to go into that because that is a very nuanced topic. Um, but I think over the next five to seven years, that movement's going to get so strong that if you're dr driving around in a silly car like this, you're going to be hated even more so. And you're going to get, oh, you're killing baby seals in, in the North Pole by driving that, etc. So I think, you know, probably got five years of being able to drive gas guzzlers like that. And then, and also in about five years time, EVs are going to get, be even better, like way yeah. better. Um, and we'll hopefully have level five auto autonomy by then, fingers crossed. Because um, my, my next plan, or one of the plans with EVs is I'd like to own about 20,000 Teslas um, in the UK. Uh, because I see ride hailing as a massive industry. Yeah. And it, I, if you look at the, the charts, it's just going to be doing a vertical line upwards. Um, in terms of miles driven per year, ride hailing miles driven is just, is just, just eating at market share uh, in that graph. So, I, so when level five autonomy is allowed in the UK, as in you literally get in the car, put your, put your address in, go to sleep and you'd arrive. You know, that, that's, the that's what level five autonomy means. Yeah. Um, I live in Norwich, it's about 250,000 people, etc. I've realized that you know, with, with that geo, if you had about a thousand fully autonomous Teslas, you can have way better service and uh, availability than, than say Uber is in, in London. Mm. Um, you'd, and also like the average taxi fare in Norwich, probably the same elsewhere is 10 to 12 pounds. Mm. Yet the average taxi only drives about three miles. Um, so if I had a whole fleet to say a thousand Teslas in Norwich, I could charge the user 50p a mile. So all of a sudden people can now travel around Norwich for 50p a mile. So, you know, dropping the taxi fare from say 10 to 12 quid down to one pound 50. And it still makes crazy profits. And so I'd like to start off with Norwich. And then if that works, then go, screw, screw it. There's like what, 40 other cities uh, or areas in the UK, the same yeah. like Norwich. I'd avoid Birmingham and London. They'll be their own like mini beasts. But then it's like, okay, let's try and find 20 cities like Norwich. And then all of a sudden you've got like a whole, you know, 20,000 Teslas. And then all, then you've got a, a relatively big chunk of miles driven in the UK. Um, and also all Teslas have massive screens in them. So then you're, you've got a marketing company basically. Um, and so w one thing I'd love to do is be able to offer free transport to wherever, you know, to say Norwich to begin with. Because if I can get advertisers like, I don't know, Coca-Cola paint my cars red 
pay me enough, whatever, and your, your journey is free as long as you watch this three-minute video. I mean, how cool would that be? Reducing motoring costs to zero. All you have to do is watch a three-minute video every time you go. Rolling billboard. Yeah. Um, so that's my Brilliant. crazy plan, but we'll see how it goes. Brilliant. That's really good. <laughs> so what are your thoughts about, because obviously the love for the electric car is quite high. Uh, do you think the hybrids and synthetic fuel do you think synthetic fuel is going to come into play? They'll try and force it in, but again, from a pure physics point of view, hydrogen and all that, it, it's absolute hogwash. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I made a video about this recently, going into the actual maths yeah. um, of it all, and the most efficient way to move a body in terms of joules of energy spent is literally charging a battery directly with solar and converting that, that uh, chemical energy into motion via in just a pure EV. Mm. Um, whereas when you look at hydrogen, yes, you'll see all the, 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 the fancy stats going, oh, you know, a cup of water could power this for 500 miles or whatever. But the thing is, hydrogen is like the infrastructure you need to force in that hydrogen cars is, is vast. I mean, hydrogen is, it's, uh, it, it's an odorless, um, invisible flame. It's, it corrodes metal very well. It's volumetric, so you need these huge, vast cylinders just to, uh, under intense pressures, just to hold it. Yeah, yeah. and also to liquefy it. So when you look at um, EROEI, so energy return on energy invested, like at best, so you have the best, um, oh, and also converting as in creating hydrogen, mm. is, is really energy intensive. Like if you take uh, electrolysis, that's really energy intensive. Um, so if you, let's say, put 100 joules of energy into you know, a hydrogen car, you, at best you're going to get 50, 50 joules back. Whereas with an EV, oh no, not an EV, um, with an EV, you're getting 90 joules back. Wow. It's, it's insane. Um, so would you say the production like, because obviously people in the media at the moment talk about the, oh, what we're not taking into account is the production and disposal of an electric vehicle. That'd be the same for a hydrogen car, wouldn't it? Yeah, but the thing is, EVs last way longer than the average ICE vehicle as an internal combustion engine vehicle. I mean, there's God knows how many testers out there that have done over 300,000 miles. There's a tester in San Fran that's done over a million miles now. Um, or is it kilometers? There or thereabouts. It's still high. It's still <laughs> high, yeah. I mean, yeah. My Model X, we've now done about 70,000 miles on that. Still got the same freaking brake pads from day one. Do needs no servicing, no oil changes, no anything. Um, yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, electric, you know, the EV is, is more pollution, polluting than ICE vehicles. But the thing is, those stats are all really manufactured because they, they're taking a tiny snapshot of the, of the chain. But when you look at, let's say, I'm looking here at a Porsche, what is that, what, McCann? McCann? Yeah. Um, the whole infrastructure to make an ICE vehicle or even that, that Porsche Macan is vast. That thing has probably 15 to 20,000 moving parts. Each moving part is, an, is a whole industry. So you could take one of the, the little ball bearings in the engine and okay, so what does it take to make that ball bearing? Yeah. You've got a hot, like let's say it's made of iron, you need whole iron quarries and, and then the, the, this, uh, the, the, the refining and the, like there's literally like thousands of different factories just to create all the different components. The average Tesla has 10 to 20 moving parts. 
it's way less. And everyone goes on about how, um, oh, you've got people, you know, kids in Rwanda mining cobalt, or, oh, um, yeah, cobalt, etc. Yeah. Well, so yeah, most EV manufacturers still use dirty chemistry, uh, lithium ion batteries, but Tesla is cobalt free now. So they've, they've, they've changed the chemical chem um, makeup of their batteries more, more to nickel. Um, so yeah, it's when, when you really dive into the stats, you'll see that it's all a lie basically. And yeah. when you look at the whole petro um, oil industry combined, they make about two and a half billion dollars per day profit. Yeah. So for every hit piece they can put out and every day that they can push that can, that kick the can down the road, they're saving yeah. two and a half billion dollars a day of profit. So wow. they'll do their best. And the reason why hydrogen is the thing that they're trying to push is because they're like, okay, well, if EVs and solar really take off, like we, it will, they're like, shit, we've got trillions of dollars of massive buildings and factories that are just going to be completely put to, you know, be, be made redundant. How can we reutilize the buildings and all this infrastructure so we can keep on making money? Ah, hydrogen. We can convert this oil Virtual refinery energy, into yeah. a hydrogen and, and try or and re- Synthetic fuels. Or synthetic yeah, fuels, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's more, that you'll see all the big oil companies slowly pivoting into Switching renewables, over. but yeah. they're doing it just to, it's just- Milk to, it yeah, as long as possible. Milk their infrastructure, yeah. And yeah. What, you know, the, from your, because obviously you're a helicopter pilot, you're an XRF pilot, yeah. you love your engines. Yeah. You love the noise, you love the exhilaration, yeah. the adrenaline, because that's what most people are saying. Electric cars got no soul. Yeah. And they miss I get the that. noise, they miss everything. So do you think that's going to be a big enough reason to keep them going? Uh, well, I don't know. Are going to get your fix? I think ICE <laughs> vehicles yeah. will end up like horses eventually. We still ride horses, or some people do, because yeah. of the no nostalgia. Like some people still have old classic cars and stuff like that. But like when EV tech, battery tech, and solar tech really gets going, yeah. you're like, you, you'll very soon see how ridiculous ice vehicles are in, in every way. Like I love that because it sounds amazing and it yeah. looks really pretty, but it's yeah. slow as anything. My old Tesla at half throttle would destroy that. Um, yeah, lose gross mode. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. And sometimes you, know, you put your foot down, you're like, rrr, 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 and then slowly, you know, whereas in, in any EV, it's just like instant power. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, from everything kind of that, that you know and what you think, uh, do you think private car ownership's going to die a death yeah. pretty soon then? Yeah. I mean, the average, the average person spends about £300 per month on motoring, that's insurance, yeah. tax, fuel, servicing, oh, yeah. average, you yeah. know, over a year. Um, with ride hailing, I mean, if I can pull off my, my little Tesla play, like you'll be able to um, have motoring or transport way less than 300 pounds a month. And also, yeah. like Elon says, uh, the average vehicle is, useful, is not being used 98% of the day. Yeah. And a day being obviously 24 hours, you literally, the average person goes to work, it sits outside all day. You drive home from work to the gym or yeah. shops or whatever, and then you go oh, home and then outside. it's doing nothing. Yeah. Um, and so he calls them, he, he wants car shepherds. So he was saying that you could literally buy a Model 3, Model Y or whatever, when there's level five autonomy or full self-driving, 
and basically when you're not using it you can pimp out your car to the network and it will make revenue for you and he said the average car owner that's basically pimping out their car whilst they're not using it can make about 15 to 20k rev per year so it's like well, why not so all i'm doing sounds, is just trying to amplify that you know business what? model it sounds all great and idealistic but when they've done the car sharing stuff in birmingham when they did mm. it in manchester in the uk yeah it failed because unfortunately the people trashed them yeah exactly and they ruined them and they left them on the side of the road on their side <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that so unfortunately the, the public didn't respect the vehicles yeah so if you go out buying a you know, 60 70 gram model 3 or you know, model x yeah 120 130k yeah do you think you'd let that go out like you'd press the button and let it go because well, with, with the business model which i'm looking at it's yeah. more of a, a oh, yeah, taxi they'll, service they'll all be without anyway yeah there won't be the private ownership but know what Elon's saying about the car shepherds yeah and I, I could buy a car because he's 100% right because you know you, you think yeah my car I, when, as you were saying it I was thinking hmm my car's sitting outside <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm gonna go home in it or mm. I'm gonna go somewhere else and then go home it's gonna sit outside my house all night yeah and I'm gonna come back here in the morning <laughs> it's gonna sit. I know so 100% yeah he's right they do sit around you know more than 90% of the day and they are a waste they're a waste of tech they're just sitting there yeah but it's my car yeah I mean, it won't be for everyone, but yeah. for a lot of people, being able to hail a Tesla and get one within a couple of minutes, pay 50p a mile to get wherever they want to go. And people don't actually drive that many miles on average yeah, during yeah. the space of a month, let's say. Yeah, they don't. So, and it, it would just be a nice car. And also he's bringing out the mass manufactured version. So he's not calling it the Model 2, but he's bringing out a very cheap sub 20k car. Wow. Um, so I'll be, for, so I'm, I'm looking at this as pure ROI. I'm like, okay, I'll buy the cheapest tester possible yeah. and then pimp it out for 50p a mile. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it'll probably be commercial versions as well, won't they? So they won't yeah. be without leather yeah, and exactly. you know, washable it's surfaces. Same with haulage as well. So I'm also yeah. looking, so in the M&A space, I'm looking at either setting up or buying um, some haulage companies. Because if you take uh, an, a company that runs an articulated lorry, it's about 100 grand a year to operate an Arctic. Yeah. Driver salaries, all the oil, the diesel, everything, the servicing, it's about a hundred grand a year. Well, Tesla has the, the semi, which is their, you know, the electric um, Arctic. Yeah. And you, the, the, the running cost on that is about 20, 20 grand a year. So I was just thinking, well, wait a minute, let's just say I bought a very small haulage company that had 10 big lorries. So that's a million a year in, in OPEX, just to run those things. If I had 10 Tesla Arctics, which only cost 20K per year yeah, to run, to run I'm making 800 grand savings yeah. day one. Mm. So I could literally go out and acquire a haulage company, cut, you know, obviously with financing, get 10 of you know, my Tesla lorries, and that's 800 grand a year saving. So it's instant profit, straight away, not instant, but. Um, and then like, obviously you've got factories which Arctics are you know, probably contracted to. You could probably then go and, hey, look, whilst it's unloading, I'll, I'll install the charger there. And, so, and also it doesn't have to stop every hour or whatever. It can drive 24 seven. So you're getting max utilization out of your hardware. So, wow. so that's that. Or even to be easier, create a new industry called HAS, haulage as a service. So if someone's spending hundred grand a year on a big Arctic, I can go, hey, I've got a fleet. You can use mine for 20 grand a year or 30, whatever. 
then I don't need to buy haulage companies, but I want to do both just to, just to get data, really. So <laughs> just for shits and giggles, really. <laughs> awesome. So uh, that brings us to the end, really. Fortunately, we've run out cool. of time. So thanks so much for coming up to Birmingham yeah. today. And uh, yeah, it's been, this has been really interesting. Hope I feel I'm more bored. intelligent <laughs> after speaking to you for this long. So it's been really, really good. So thanks so much for coming up. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you again soon. And uh, cool. hope the listeners and viewers have enjoyed as much as I have. So thanks very much. Oh, no, thank Cheers. you. Cheers, mate. All right, thanks. Si. Hey, thanks for having me. Hope this chat helped and you learned at least something new. Uh, don't forget to give Cam and uh, MotorServe a, a like and subscribe. And I'm sure he's got more awesome podcasts <laughs> interview soon all right thanks for listening and watching today uh, i hope that was very interesting for you i know it was for myself so uh please do like and subscribe to our channel uh, we'll be getting more and more podcasts uh loaded on so keep an eye out in the future and thanks very much once again Bye.